On August 18, 2014, Taylor Swift made perhaps the biggest and boldest move of her career. Already the biggest country star in the world, Swift would be releasing her first official pop album, titled 1989. The album would arrive that October selling well over 1.2 million copies in its first week, making Swift the first artist to have three albums sell more than a million copies during their initial week of release. I've been writing songs since I was 12 years old, and with every album, they've changed. 1989 is my favorite by far, so I'm really happy that's the one that people like the most. That's really convenient for me. I wish you would come back. Wish I never hung up the phone like I did. Wish you know that. I never forget you as long as I live. Wish you were right. Swift would bring her new album to the masses at the start of summer 2015 on the 1989 tour. Now a pop star, Swift's latest track built a level of anticipation few artists before her had garnered, remembers Brian Mansfield, managing editor for Country Insider. The previous tour, the, the Red Tour, if I'm not mistaken, that ended up being the biggest tour by a country artist in history to that point. So, I mean, she is literally at the top of the game in that world. And she was also one of the first big stars to really take advantage of the audiences that you can create online. And so there was the kind of chatter and buzz for anything that she did. It was almost unprecedented. It wasn't that everybody was talking about it, but Everybody that liked Taylor Swift was talking about it. There was a huge anticipation. I'm Troy L. Smith, reporter for Cleveland.com and host of CLE Rocks, the music podcast from the birthplace of rock and roll. On this episode, we look back at Taylor Swift's rise to fame, her move to pop, and the tour that solidified her as an icon. Country music had seen massive stars before, from Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson to Garth Brooks and Shania Twain. But Taylor Swift took things to the next level. She emerged in summer 2006 with her debut single, Tim McGraw. Said the way my blue eyes shine, but those Georgia stars to shame that night. I said that's a lie. Just a boy in a Chevy truck. It had a tendency of getting stuck. A run of successful songs would establish Swift, just 16 years old, as not just an artist to watch, but someone who could potentially reach historic heights, says Mansfield. I remember in the early days when she's like 16, 17 years old, and people talking, because this sounded ridiculous at the time, but, but there would, you would have these very quiet conversations in Nashville about how Taylor reminded people of Dolly Parton. And it it wasn't that she sounded like Dolly. It wasn't that she was a songwriter like Dolly or that she was recording material, you know, as impressive as Dolly. But there was something about the way that she carried herself and the way that she approached the business end of things that 
made people think this must have been what it was like to see Dolly Parton at 16 or 17 years old just because she was so on the ball. And you didn't want to say that because that sounded like blasphemy, <laughs> but 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 16 years later it doesn't. I mean, she she really does kind of have all of those all of those qualities that make people adore Dolly Parton and think of her as an icon uh, in in all of these different social circles. Taylor has those same qualities. Swift's reign atop country music took hold in 2008 with the release of Fearless. Swift's sophomore album would sell more than 3 million copies in its first year of release, with 13 of its tracks landing in the top 40 on the Billboard chart. Swift's appeal went beyond music. Her songs about growing up connected with fans, especially young women. But Taylor strengthened that bond at concerts and through social media, says fan Lily Simmons. Well, from the beginning, I think she was just real and relatable. I grew up, you know, writing songs about my crushes and stuff. And I was like, wow, she does the same thing I'm doing, but she's doing it professionally. You know, she was just honest in her songwriting. And I think that got a lot of young girls, you know, really into her music. And since then, she's just been so great to her fans and really open with fans. Um, that was a big thing on the 1989 tour, too. Before she did the song Clean, she had a little speech and she just talked about, you know, tough times and getting through them. And she's always vulnerable with fans. And I think that's a big part of why people who didn't listen to pop music wanted to stick with her because she was so open with us. And she makes you feel like she's your friend, even though you've never met her. Taking things further at live shows, Swift would host fan experiences known as tea parties, where a few selected attendees would be invited backstage to meet the country star. Akron resident Amy Cullen attended one such tea party during the Speak Now tour in 2011. We went and found her mom in the sound booth and we took pictures and we were just talking to her and we're like, you know, we have this gift for Taylor. We would really love to give it to her. And her mom's like, I'll see what we can do. And we went back to our seats and like five minutes later, somebody came and said, Miss Swift would like to invite you to the tea party after the show. And they gave us wristbands and we started sobbing. When everybody cleared out, we met in like a corner in the arena and they walked us back. We hung out in this room until she came back and she walked around and just met everybody and took pictures and talked with each group for like 10 to 15 minutes. It was the most crazy thing that's ever happened. She's like introducing herself like she's not the biggest person in the world. She's like, hey, like I'm Taylor, just so chill and relatable. And she's just so cool. And she wasn't rushing around to take pictures or to like get to the next person. She made you feel like you were the only people there that she wanted to talk to. Following the announcement of 1989, Swift would release the album's first single, Shake It Off, which shot straight to number one. I see I'm too late. Got nothing in my brain. That's what people say. Mm-hmm. That's what people say. Mm-hmm. 1989 was the most anticipated album of 2014, and Swift was feeling the pressure. I've been working on this for two years, and now I'm just, and I think I've prepared it for the world, but 
you don't know what the world is going to do to it once it gets out there. However, the release of 1989 would quickly turn into a celebration. Fans flocked to stores and streaming services to listen to Swift's new album. The singer even hosted her own listening party at her home in Los Angeles. Ohio fan Stephanie Reed remembers staying up until midnight on October 27, 2014 to listen to 1989 the second it arrived. Well, that album came out my freshman year of high school. That album kind of like defined high school for me because that's all I would listen to. And I remember like the night it came out at midnight, I just like stayed up for like three hours and just listened to it on repeat. I remember like the next day I went to Target and I got like the magazine cover she was on. I got like the shirt that was there with the album on it. And I kind of like made it my own like holiday. Like every time she releases an album, I get like really excited and I wear her merch and stuff. I don't know, every time she releases something, I just get so excited and I just make it into my own holiday, I guess. <laughs> the first four singles from 1989 would all enter the top 10 on the pop charts, with three reaching number one. Set on creating an experience worthy of her pop superstar status, Swift spent seven months planning what would become the 1989 tour. As Country Insider editor Brian Mansfield remembers, the set for the 1989 tour was focused on the 1989 album. Only old material fitting with Swift's new synth-heavy sound would be included. She had kind of done this on the Red Tour, but really did it on 1989. She did pretty much the entire 1989 album and almost nothing from the early days. She did a couple of songs from Red. I think she did, um, she like really revamped Love Story. But those like the only three songs from earlier in her career that she did regularly throughout that tour. So she wasn't coming in and doing greatest hits and four songs from the new album. She was doing the whole album and a handful of hits that she radically reinterpreted. That was pretty unusual for a mainstream pop act to do that because you think of those artists as singles artists and you expect to come out here the songs that you've heard from them all your life. And she wasn't doing that at all. She was really playing to her hardcore fan base. She wasn't playing to people that liked, liked some of the Taylor Swift songs they heard on the radio and thought it would be fun to go see her. She was playing to the people that wanted to make sure that at some point they heard every song she had ever performed or she had ever recorded in concert. I remember, I remember thinking it, it, it reminded me more of what like a Neil Young might do where he's really he's playing to the fan base and so he comes out and he does the songs that he wants to do even if they're not necessarily the songs that the casual fan might expect you know and at that point her fan base is so big that she could easily sell out arenas and even stadiums on people that just wanted to see her no matter what she was doing swift's fan base would turn out in droves Every show on the 1989 tour sold out with hundreds if not thousands of fans arriving to venues early in self-made Swift attire, something Cleveland concert attendee Stephanie Reed experienced firsthand. I just remember seeing a lot of people dress up based on like her music videos or like her past music video looks, stuff like that. 
there was a group right in front of us in the pits that were dressed from what she wore from the Blank Space music video. And actually, those people right in front of us got picked to go backstage for Lost 89, where they got to meet her and, like, take pictures. So that was really neat to see that. And people, like, were dressed with, like, Christmas lights on them. They had glitter all over them. It was really fun to, like, see everyone dress up like that. You don't really see that too often at, like, other concerts. The tour's stage setup was bigger and brighter than anything Swift had done up until that point. With huge screens, a lengthy catwalk, dancers, and Broadway-style production themed with every song. Each attendee was gifted a light-up bracelet synced with music at the concert. Those same bracelets would wind up aiding a group of fans leaving a show in Louisiana when the driver fell asleep, causing the car to crash on the side of the road. The driver was knocked unconscious, and the passengers were trapped inside. The second night of the tour, somebody, uh, I think it was three girls, on their way back home, they ran off the road down in a ditch where they couldn't be seen. And one of them was hurt pretty badly. Their phones were dead. And the, they realized that if you, like, smacked those bracelets on something, like a window, they would light up. So they started using those bracelets as, like, makeshift emergency flares. Somebody saw those glowing down in the ditch and got them out. And it probably saved that girl's life. Each show on the 1989 tour would begin the same way, with the sounds of Welcome to New York and a massive roar from the crowd. We popped out of the stage and we everyone went crazy. Everyone was screaming for like the first 10 minutes of the show and then like all like the bracelet lights were like flickering and it's so perfect how she's able to take whatever song it is and make it an opening. She would say, tonight we might be in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio, but tonight our story starts in New York. Swift's set transitioned seamlessly from song to song with a full-blown stage productions paired with the songs from 1989 while mixing in revamped versions of older hits like I Knew You Were Trouble, Love Story, and We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. Throughout the set, Swift would change in and out of nine stunning outfits. I love costume changes. I think that any element of theater you can put into a show, any element of drama or, you know, surprise, I think that costumes really add to that element. But the outfits weren't the only jaw-dropping aspects of the show. The catwalk that stretched from one end of the arena to the other would rise up and rotate, giving every fan in attendance an up-close view of Swift. That was the best part because really at some point 
everybody had the best seat in the house. And like, there was a moment where she gets so close to you, and it was like, I could swear she looked right at me. You know, she probably didn't. There are hundreds of people in my section. But she really made it feel, at least for a moment, like you were front row at that show. Each night would conclude with a mashup of Enchanted and Wildest Dream that would inspire an epic sing-along. He said, let's get out of this town, drive out of the city, away from the crowd. I thought heaven can't help me now Nothing lasts forever But this is gonna take me down Followed by a bombastic closing version of Out of the Woods The 1989 tour was the largest grossing tour of 2015, selling more than 2.2 million tickets and generating over $250 million in revenue. Swift would go on to bigger things, most notably the 2017 album Reputation and its corresponding stadium tour, before dialing her sound back a bit on recent albums like Lover and 2020's Folklore. But 1989 marks a moment in time when the biggest country star on the planet became a pop star of the highest order. It's just crazy because I feel like every album or thing she does, she like gains more attraction fans. It's just crazy to like see her playing at like a, a huge stadium with way more people. I remember like seeing pictures of her, like she used to open up for the Rascal Flats and country artists like that and now has a sold out like stadium tour. Like that's just so insane to see. Thank you for listening to this episode of CLE Rocks. For more, visit our pages on Apple, Spotify, Acast, or your favorite podcasting platform. And please leave a review. Thanks to everyone who participated in this podcast, especially the Swifties. I'm Troy L. Smith with Cleveland.com. Until next time.